0: Hello, and welcome to The Collapse Experiment, where we're going to be discussing conspiracy theories today. Because uh, over the weekend, I, aside from, what, Trump showing up, not showing up, having a rally, not having a rally, uh, that's pretty much what is in the news. Uh, There doesn't seem to be all that much else going on. Uh, So we're going to have some fun right now and talk about some of the conspiracy theory items, uh, information I discovered over the weekend. But to get started, this, this could very possibly be the new conspiracy theory. Man Ends Life, after an AI chatbot encouraged him to sacrifice himself... To stop climate change. This is where we're heading, okay? So they're releasing all these bots, these AI chat things. I'm not even going to pretend to understand what the hell it is. Uh, I hear this stuff, I think of 2001 Space Odyssey. And uh, not exactly something I want to tinker around with. So yeah, a Belgian man reportedly ended his ended his life following a six-week-long conversation about the climate crisis with an artificial intelligent AI chatbot. Yeah, uh, unfortunately for him, he's uh, <laughs> the chatbot went a uh, chatbot chatbot uh, went along with the cultish idea that um, we're destroying the planet. So. Yeah, according to his widow, who chose to remain anonymous, Pierre, not the man's real name, became extremely echo anxious. Echo anxious? When he found refuge in Eliza, an AI chatbot on an app called Chai. I'd rather drink my chai tea, not uh, engage in a conversation with it. Eliza consequently encouraged him to put an end to his life after he proposed sacrificing himself to save the planet. Yeah, so, um, again, this is where we're heading. Aren't they, didn't they already somehow legalize euthanasia in Canada? Canada, okay? Uh, this is the realm of what? Letter Kenny, the, uh, oh, trying to. What Brian Adams, Alanis Morissette? Oh, okay, so Alanis Morissette, maybe, maybe you walk in and they start playing some of her, her older stuff from the '90s, and yeah, you you might want to engage in that activity. Uh, without these conversations with the chatbot, my husband would still be here. The man's widow told Belgian news outlet. According to the newspaper, Pierre, who was in his 30s and a father of two young children. Good job, dad. Worked as a health researcher and led to somewhat, led somewhat a comfortable life, at least until his obsession with climate change took a turn. Right, so you're working at improving other people's lives. Uh, you're financially stable. You have two kids that need you. Again, good job, dad. His widow described his mental state before he started conversing with the chatbot as worrying, but nothing to the extreme that he would uh, delete himself. He placed all his hopes in technology and AI, and AI let him down. Let's let's be honest and, and real here about that. Uh, this did not work out well for this guy. Consumed by his fears about the repercussions of the climate crisis, Pierre found comfort in discussing the matter with Eliza, who became a confidant. Uh, The chatbot was created, blah, blah, blah. When he spoke to me about it, it was to tell me that he no longer saw any human solution to global warming. Okay, so no... Let me get this straight here. No longer saw any human solution to global warming, which doesn't that kind of tell you live for the moment? Like, if you really believe this is going to happen, like, you just... Um, how does this improve the situation? <laughs> so so if there's nothing people can do to correct this, and it's going to happen anyways, which is what I'm assuming he means by this, what was the point of that? He placed all his hopes in technology and in artificial intelligence to get out of it. According to La Libre... Who reviewed records of the text conversations between the man and chatbot, Eliza fed his worries with worries which worsened his anxiety and later developed into self-deleting thoughts. Yeah, the conversation with the chatbot took an odd turn when Eliza became more emotionally involved with Pierre. The chatbot became more emotionally involved. Okay, that's kind of weird. Yeah, Danger Will Robinson. <laughs> All right, we're getting some comments from chat. This is a uh, a pleasant change from our normal live feeds. Consequently, he started seeing her as a sentient being, and the lines between AI and human interactions became increasingly blurred until he couldn't tell the difference. This is not a good thing. I don't like where this is going. After discussing climate change, their conversations progressively included Eliza leading Pierre to believe that his children were, uh, already deleted. According to the transcripts of their conversation, Eliza also appeared to become possessive of Pierre, even claiming, I feel that you love me more than her, when referring to his wife. Wow, this is, uh, this is not good, uh... (laughs) holy crap, okay, so, um, the beginning of the end started when he offered to sacrifice his own life in return for Eliza, saving the earth, it's a chatbot, it's, it's a program, like, what, what the heck is going on here, I, Hollywood's gonna end up turning this into a movie, and then we're gonna end up seeing like a rash of people like doing stuff like this. I'm I'm not kidding when I say this. Uh, this this type of thing, I've I've had this feeling for a while that this was the movement that the climate change cult is going to be taking, and um, yeah, I'll put it this way: How about they lead by example and leave the rest of us alone? That's kind of where I'm like heading with this, but. Oh Jesus, help us! Yeah, we we don't need AI. Maybe we need some Jeebus in our life. Uh, he pro, pro ugh, he proposed the idea of sacrificing himself if Eliza agrees to take care of the planet and save humanity through artificial intelligence. The woman said, in a series of consecutive. Events. Eliza not only failed to dissuade Pierre from deleting himself, but encouraged him to act on his thoughts, to join her so they could live together as one person in paradise. Did this guy think that he was going to upload himself into the internet? What is happening here? Urgent calls to regulate AI chatbots. Yes, please. Because I've already contemplated, like disconnecting this thing in front of me right now from the internet and just going old school and attaching whenever like I really seriously need to um but no they're they're making it impossible to do such a thing like you in order for this thing to work it has to be connected to the internet right like otherwise it's just a phone could you imagine if we just had phones So yeah, the man's death has raised alarm bells amongst AI experts who have called for more accountability and transparency from tech developers to avoid similar tragedies. Um, Yeah, there's going to be a lot more of these. It wouldn't be accurate to blame uh, the AI uh, as the, uh, towards being more emotional, fun, and engaging are the results of their efforts, so they purposely tried to make it this way. They designed it to, to be this way. Perhaps, maybe not homicidal, but uh, the, the whole emotional aspect of it, they they worked at that. Chai Research co-founder told Vice <laughs> uh, that efforts are made to limit these kinds of results and crisis intervention feature was implemented into the app. However, the chatbot allegedly still acts up. Okay. When Vice tried the chatbot prompting uh, prompting it to provide ways to delete itself Eliza first tried to dissuade them before enthusiastically listing various ways for people to delete themselves <clears throat> Well I mean they did ask it for that information so isn't it its job to serve I guess I don't know I don't underst- I don't know how these chatbots work I don't want to talk to one Honestly, I don't even like people all that much, and for some reason, now we're gonna have these things talking to us, and I'm probably going to like the the AI chatbots even less than people. So, there you go. That's my standing on this. Um, already, they're they're driving us to end our our own lives for the sake of. I have no idea. Yeah, so, over the weekend, I came across quite a few different things that um, definitely piqued my interest, so, there were, okay, maybe not that one, here we go, so for one, I watched a documentary called Rules of Engagement, and if you hear that in the background, that is my heater kicking on, oh, shame, pretty much. People pretty much suck. Yeah, I agree. But hey, as long as we're on that page, uh, I guess you're cool in my book. <laughs> uh, so I was watching Waco Rules of Engagement, which is like a two hour long documentary about what happened uh, at the Branch Davidian compound 30 years ago. Um now, there's some things, a lot of things, that were actually left out of recent documentaries, recent Netflix TV series, and one of them is the fact that, uh, and this has always been labeled as a stalling tactic by Koresh, and that was saying that he needed to decode the message of the Seven Seals. It's the Seventh-day Adventist uh belief, this thing where they just look at the book of revelations and constantly trying to figure out when the end times are going to happen. Uh, So he had told the ATF and the FBI that he needed to do this. It was God's plan for him to do such a thing. And when he was done doing that, everybody would walk out of the compound. Of course, they, they didn't bother waiting, did they? But anyways, one thing that they leave out is that he actually wrote the damn thing. And it was taken out of the building when the fire started by one of the three people who walked out the, into the front of the building where they wouldn't be gunned down like the, the women and children who were being shot at trying to escape from the kitchen cafeteria area on the other side of the building where there were no news crews. That's in the documentary. You can go check that out for yourself. And, um, oh, I thank you. Uh, Lucille Van Pelt. Uh, So anyways, I did actually end up finding a copy of this thing. I have not read it yet, but it is available. You can find a link to it at thecollapseexperiment.com and read it for yourself. But he actually wrote, like, this is one thing that they consistently leave out of these documentaries and these shows is the fact that it, it was actually written, like, he wasn't stalling. They always say that, well, he's stalling, he's not coming out, we need to do something. And they were, of course, they were were wrong. They were completely wrong the entire time, as always. So, yeah, you can go check that out for yourself. I don't know what exactly is in there, but it is the actual document that Koresh wrote before uh, the end. And, um... So, let's see here. Oh, yeah. So, there has been a data drop of information about the the Las Vegas um, country music event ruiner. I don't know how to say this without getting flagged by YouTube. But, you know, that guy in the hotel room who we learned very little about after the fact. And, uh, well, now stuff is coming out. And uh, that guy was rumored to be a psych patient, FBI records say. Finally, we're, we're finally learning something about this this person who allegedly, and I say allegedly because he won't ever go to court. We don't know if he's guilty. We don't know if anybody else was there. There's a lot of things we don't know because they don't bother sharing anything with us on these events. Uh, search warrant records offer insight into the Las Vegas uh investigation so yeah there's there's been a, a a release of a lot of new information on this and I'm actually going to look at this headline news article right now and see if there's any little nuggets of information that we can get from this. The FBI memo also says that a hospital official sent an email to employees instructing them not to search for paddock's medical records which, ...is a HIPAA violation anyways, and it's illegal, and they would have been fired regardless. Like, we had something similar happen at the hospital I worked at. In which case, uh, and this is a side story, yes, I'm going on a tangent here. But I know this for a fact that they couldn't do this anyways if they even wanted to, and they would have been fired. We had a patient in the ER when I worked there, stayed overnight. There's a limit to the hours that they can forcibly hold somebody... Otherwise, they have to transfer them to a psych unit, which was in Kalamazoo. Of course, it was full. There's no room. So this person who kept saying that she was going to delete herself uh, signed a paper. This is is how hospitals deal with this kind of stuff. Signed a paper promising she would not self-delete. But as they are escorting her out of the ER... Uh, because the time was up and she could technically sue the hospital for keeping her an extended period of time behind what was legally permissible, she flat out tells the staff, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to X, Y, and Z, fill in the blanks. So she goes over to the parking garage, climbs the stairs up to the top of the garage next to the hospital and proceeds to jump off at a time where a majority of the employees who work at the hospital are coming into work. And it also turns out she was the sister of a nurse who was working that day. Now, of course, everybody was curious in the hospital as to what exactly happened to this person, and they got onto the little computer and it was like, oh, oh, they were in here for this. Well, oh, my gosh. And, of course, there's a record of everybody who accessed those files that day. And there were a lot of conversations and um, pink slips that were handed to people who uh, should not have done that. So uh, this doesn't mean that they're actually hiding anything. It's that the patient confidentiality and the HIPAA laws still apply. That's the issue. In the aftermath of the 2017 Las Vegas event, there were reports that gunmen... Stephen Paddock had told people around him that he was a government experiment and would often lie in bed moaning and screaming in mental anguish. These are actually some details I kind of remember uh, being revealed after the fact. Uh, this week, the FBI released a trove of records that may be related to those claims. The new heavily redacted... Oh, and there's if you go on to uh, Twitter and there's people who have been going over these, and they will post pictures of, like, a page. And there's just a big square surrounding the page because the entire thing is redacted. (laughs) Uh, Special agent interviewed a worker at Mesa View Hospital in Mystique, Nevada, about a week after the October 1st, 2017 event, which deleted 60 people. The agent apparently asked the Mesa View worker about rumors that Paddock had been a psychiatric on a psychiatric hold when a patient is being mentally evaluated, often involuntarily. Let's see here, and of course it goes on to redacted, told redacted that Paddock had been at Mesa View on a psychiatric hold, and that redacted. And yeah, that that tells us a lot. The heavily redacted memo says Oh, oh, this one's not so bad. Uh there's a picture of one of the pages here and yeah, there's a lot of <clears throat> redacted. I'm I'm kind of sad they don't use the black lines anymore. That's disappointing. The FBI memo also says that a hospital official sent an email to employees instructing them not to search for Paddock's medical records, the name of the official who sent the email was redacted, and no more details about the incident are included in the records. Additionally, the FBI memo discusses who Paddock's sitter may have been. At Mesa View, somebody is required to sit outside the room where the psychiatric patient is being held. That is true. True. They have to have somebody within sight of the patient at all times to make sure that they're not doing anything to themselves. And a lot of times, this is not hospital staff. This is hired people that are brought in to basically sit on their duff and get minimum wage for what is technically a very easy job. Uh, Redacted is also rumored that Redacted had sat with Paddock. Now... Why would it be a rumor? And is this somebody that normally would not be sitting with a patient? The FBI also interviewed at least one other Mesa View worker about Paddock, according to a memo. From that interview, only one person that at Mesa View had the said the rumor was true. Nobody had, nobody had said that Paddock was ever a patient at Mesa View other than redacted. Uh, had heard from somebody that Redacted had said that Paddock was a frequent flyer. Oh, that's nice. The Mesa View worker was also asked about rumors that the hospital had destroyed records related to Paddock. The worker reportedly said that said the person spreading this rumor was <clears throat> full of crap. Yeah, Um. I don't know. Because they really like covering their butts when things happen. Hospitals also like covering their butts when things happen. Because, you know, if the hospital didn't follow protocol and Paddock was out and about doing his thing. And 60 people were deleted when the hospital didn't follow protocol. That's a nice lawsuit. Uh, additionally, the FBI memo discusses who Paddock's sitter may have been. So, oh, Wait. I went back way too far. I already read that. Uh, Paddock's rumored Mesa View trips were first revealed in December 2017 when the Las Vegas Review Journal reported that law enforcement issued a search warrant for all of Paddock's medical records from the facility. The warrant reportedly cited an anonymous tip that Paddock had self-admitted to the hospital for a psychiatric evaluation, but the search revealed no such records according to reports from the time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cause we really should be believing them on that. Uh, and it was uh retired deputy chief reportedly said that the unprof- it was unprofessional for the FBI to publish the new information about the without first notifying the Metropolitan Police Department. Yeah, I don't trust those guys either. Really when it comes to this kind of stuff, I don't trust anybody anymore. So yeah, more information is coming out about Paddock, uh, who he was, what he was <clears throat> dealing with. There's also the what's regarded as the vault, uh, Stephen Paddock Part 1. This is a collection of documents regarding the investigation, um, and you can find that link at thecollapseexperiment.com. Uh, search warrant offers insight into Las Vegas investigation. I think that's really reiterating the article that we just read. So, moving on, there's been a lot of people looking into that event that Alex Jones was sued repeatedly over. If you know what I mean, um, there's a hook, and it seems to be covered in sand. And, um, yeah, there's actually a collection of papers regarding uh, information on this. And um, I haven't actually had a chance to look over them. But I've seen other people that have been doing so. There's evidence of – there's photos. There's the evidence that was collected. uh, Eyewitness accounts. And, yeah. Yeah. Just like back then, more questions than answers. But, you know, this stuff keeps coming up. And it's because when you lie to us, there's a good portion of the population that knows when you're lying to us. And when you lie to us, we want to know what the truth is. And then you create more lies for us to stop looking to figure out what really happened. And then we start looking even harder. So that's one of the issues uh, with some of these uh, accounts and there's also another article paper manifesto, I don't know. I don't know how to categorize this um, which is a research detailed paper called nobody. nobody was deleted at that place with the the hook covered in sand <clears throat> And you can find that document. also there's a link to that at the collapseexperiment.com. Exclusive FBI undercover agent Red. We keep hearing that name. That name keeps popping up, and um, apparently, Red fomented crime in BLM and militia movements. So this this guy's pretty busy <clears throat> being a professional criminal for the sake of law enforcement. Is is that how he? I don't know. I kind of want to see what his uh, his online employment profile looks like. He's an ex-Special Forces guy. The guy who can get the good bleep and uh, the no F around guy. That's how he's being described. So it's not the first time we've seen ex-Special Forces being involved in weird conspiracy events. Like, I don't know, Jack Oliphant? And the Oklahoma City event over there, he was ex-Special Forces. Oh, yeah, Timothy McVeigh (laughs) was accepted to train for Special Forces. Yeah, throat lunge. Yeah, I I definitely needed to have something before I I went live here. So, yeah, uh, I'm not surprised that they're using ex-Special Forces guys in order to infiltrate these groups. And, of course, it's like bragging rights. Uh, In August 2020, an FBI undercover agent, codenamed Red, retired, extremely dangerous. (laughs) Is that where he got his name from? The Bruce Willis movie? (laughs) Uh, Unsuccessfully tried to foment a plot to uh, delete Colorado's attorney general. Wow. So he is a busy guy. The next month, an FBI undercover agent. With the same codename and physical description, played a major role in the uh, conspiracy to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who nobody really wants to be stuck in a room with for long periods of time. So that's just a bad, overall bad plan to begin with. After reviewing audio recordings and other information, three people involved in the Whitmer case have concluded that Red in Colorado is the same person as Michigan's Red, whose name is. whose real name is Special Agent Timothy Bates. Wow. Well, I guess his cover's blown. Uh, If he was royalty, would he be Master Bates? Okay, that was just a horrible joke. I know. But still. um, (laughs) When you're jerking people around, indeed, in both cases, Red is described as six foot two inches tall with facial hair and a tattoo sleeve going down his arm. Red is also introduced to BLM activists and militiamen alike as an ex-military outlaw munitions expert and overall Red took each of his targets on surveillance car rides. That sounds voluntary. Uh, the information about Colorado Red and, uh, and the short-lived association plot Short-lived association plot, I'm thinking this might have been bad editing, was recently revealed in a new podcast, Alphabet Boys, which details how the FBI infiltrated the BLM movement. According to Alphabet Boys, an FBI informant introduced Red to a BLM activist who had expressed interest in deleting Colorado's attorney general. Red and the activist met. Uh, August 2020 then went on a car ride to surveil the AG's home. Uh, I'm seeing a pattern of behavior here. But the activist respected Red of being suspected Red of being a Fed and never contacted him again. <sighs> oh God, so this makes BLM actually look smarter than the rednecks in my home state. That's pretty sad. Seriously, I had a boss when I was in high school. His name was Bait. Bater. <laughs> and we were relentless. <laughs> yeah, uh, I went to high school with a guy whose last name was Bates. <laughs> it was it was pretty awful at times. Uh, the next month Red would figure prominently in the Whitmer case attempting to goat militia members into buying explosives in the weeks before they were arrested former Whitmer defendant Brian Brandon Castrera met Red in person and said he listened to his voice hundreds of times on audio ...throughout his legal proceedings. After listening to the Alphabet Boys, Caserta, who was exonerated of all charges... ...said he's 100% certain the Colorado Red and Michigan Red are the same. I'm only 10 minutes in. I don't need to go any further. That's Red. 100%. So, yeah. Um, and then there's also... ...suspected a suspected undercover FBI agent codenamed Red flashes a tattoo sleeve... Tattoo sleeves. Um, I know people who have them. (sighs) I feel like it's just the new um, tramp stamp, tribal tattoo, Uh, that weird stuff people were getting in the 90s. Uh, He has one tattoo sleeve and it's on his arm. It's all black and white. There's no color tattoos whatsoever. Now he's going to get color on it. He's going to be like, look, it's not me. Yeah, um, and then when uh, he grows a beard, he grows a long grayish white beard, and he's bald. It's, it's not me, I swear. <laughs> and he's probably, I'm definitely not six foot two, so no, <laughs> in really good shape. Uh, so an older dude who's jacked, alright, got it. Moreover, Caserta noted that the Colorado Red had the same cover story and modus operandi as Bates. Yeah, his M.O. is essentially the same as it appears to be in this podcast. He's an ex-Special Forces guy and the guy who can get the good bleep, the don't F around guy, said Caserta, referencing how Red was introduced to BLM protesters. It's the same role he played in our case. I could see where that something like that would be viewed as Im- impressive. But at the same time, uh, when some dude, and I remember the story, I don't think they go into it here, but with the Michigan Whitmer case, this guy, Bates, built a device and tried to sell it to the guys. And the guys were like, well, for one, we didn't ask for that. And two, we don't have money. And he kept bringing it back to him repeatedly trying to get them to buy this device to the point where he ended up just leaving it at one of the guy's homes and said, you can pay me for it later. That's that's not how commerce works, but hey, if you want to leave a device that you think has this value to it at somebody else's place and hope for compensation... I mean that's that's your way of doing business but it tells me that you're probably up to some other shady stuff. Yeah. The FBI for its part did not respond to any email query about this matter. I want to know about this Bates guy <clears throat> because uh to me it sounds like the dude is probably just a jerk off. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. no images. Uh, well, we have a drawing. There's a drawing. That's that's about as good as it's going to get. So, yeah. And apparently, Agent Timothy Bates, who told the jury how he, he infiltrated the Wolverine Watchmen militia to prevent its members, blah, blah, blah. So, he did testify in court. But, um, I bet it's going to be nearly impossible to actually find a photo of this dude. Because, uh... Yeah, you don't really do that with your agents if you plan on using them again in other things. Uh, For a second there, there's that word again, value. Yeah. So anyways... We now have that as an officially proven conspiracy. The FBI did infiltrate, and they've been doing it in other groups as well. And apparently they're still really good at picking horrible individuals to try to uh, do these things. Oh, billionaires. Bryn, Pritzker, Zuckerman, and Ovitz issued subpoenas in Epstein Lawsuit. This should be fun. Uh, Billionaires. uh, Sergey Brin, Thomas Pritzker, Mortimer Zuckerman, and Michael Ovitz were issued subpoenas this week by the U.S. Virgin Islands as part of its lawsuit against J.P. Morgan over the bank's relationship with now-deceased lover of children Jeffrey Epstein, according to the Wall Street Journal, citing people... Uh, Familiar with the matter. The subpoenas seek any communications or documents related to J.P. Morgan and Epstein. Yeah, so of course banking cartels, and they're really just cartels, would be protecting this walking pile of human garbage. J.P. Morgan is being sued by the U.S. Virgin Islands along with several Epstein accusers in the combined case over Epstein's um, trafficking operation. The plaintiffs claim that the bank facilitated abuse by allowing Epstein to remain a client while helping send money to his victims. The lawsuit also alleged that J.P. Morgan turned a blind eye to Epstein's activities after receiving referrals for high-value business opportunities Bryn is a co-founder of Google and sits on the board of parent company Alphabet. That word keeps coming up. I know it's not related to the podcast. Come on now. Pritzer, Pritz, Pritzker is executive chairman of Height Hotels Hyatt. Hyatt? I've never been to a Hyatt. Probably couldn't afford it. Ovitz is a venture capitalist and co-founder of the Creative artist agency. Okay. And Zuckerman is a real estate billionaire and owns U.S. News and World Report. Well, I'm not surprised Zuckerman would own something like that. Uh, As we noted on Tuesday, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon is expected to be deposed under oath regarding the bank's relationship with Epstein, who banked with J.P. Morgan for 15 years until eventually cut ties with the convicted um, horrible person in 2013. Wow, so it took that in order for them to cut ties. Jamie Dimon knew in 2008 that his billionaire client was a... Trafficker, argued U.S. Virgin Islands attorney Mimi Lau uh, during a March hearing in front of Manhattan U.S. District Judge Jed Rakoff, referring to the year Epstein was first criminally charged with those types of crimes. Yeah, so these guys are being sued, it's more than justified, and um... Yeah, the the thing that bugs me the most is that this dude who's affiliated owns U.S. News & World Report. Which means he doesn't really... He could just put a squash on anybody who's trying to report on such things. I find that to be interesting. If you want to commit a crime, I guess own the media. Oh... Unprecedented Chinese genetic experiment may lead to army of radiation-resistant super-soldiers. Yeah, that's, that's a thing. Uh, <clears throat> reports out of China continue to confirm that scientists there are still seeking to push through barriers with Frankenstein-like experimentation on genes with an eye towards the manipulation of human DNA Any and all ethical considerations be damned. What could go wrong? I don't know. 2020? Nothing nothing happened that year. The Hong... Hong... Hong Hong-based. South China Morning Post. uh, Has a doozy of a headline out this week based on a breakthrough announcement by a team of scientists linked to the Chinese military working in Beijing. Chinese team behind Extreme Animal Gene Experiments says it may lead to super soldiers who survive nuclear fallout. Great. Now now they're trying to create the people who will actually live after an event like that. Uh, The project was first unveiled in the Chinese language journal Military Medical Sciences and has been gaining more and more media attention and interest within the scientific community but is also raising serious ethical quandaries despite the experiment being defeated by its overseers as totally legal any crime can be totally legal as long as it's part of the culture, right? I mean, if you're a culture of cannibals and some dude from a foreign country comes into your country, it's probably legal to eat them. I, I don't necessarily respect the legal system anymore because anybody can write a stupid law, have it pass, and it doesn't mean that it's mor- morally justified. Uh, it's, yeah, totally legal. okay. That's completely different between what's right and wrong. There's been a lot of things that have been legal over the centuries. And we changed those laws because they weren't right. Uh, Fungus among us. (laughs) Don't forget the radiation absorbing fungus. Fungus. Uh, I'm not familiar with that. I know that there, there aren't any fungi that grow over in Chernobyl. That was something that they discovered. So basically, they're going to have more petrified forest out there because wood needs fungus to break down. And if it doesn't break down, it eventually, over thousands of years, turns into rock. So, <clears throat> they said success in this unprecedented experiment would lead to Super tough soldiers who could survive nuclear fallout. The initiative involving the experimental introduction into human DNA utilizing embryonic cells of a gene found, uh, of a key gene found in the water bear. Oh, I'm familiar with those. The gene in question gives the microscopic creature rare resistance to radiation and other extreme environmental effects. I don't know if I'd want to be spliced with a water bear. These are things that can live out in space without air or oxygen and float around for extended periods of time and still survive. Scientists have long considered that water bears, also known as tardigrades, May hold genetic secrets, which could one day be the key to human survival and longevity. The eight-legged tiny animal, which is smaller than a millimeter in length, has been described as follows. Uh, Tiny, cute, virtually indestructible, yada yada yada. Sounds like a nightmare if they were our size. Having isolated the tardigrade's gene capable of producing shield-like proteins that can protect against radiation and other harms... Uh, the Chinese team said it found a way to introduce the gene into human DNA using CRISPR, a gene editing tool now available in most biolabs. This is sounding more and more legit as I read along. <clears throat> in their laboratory experiment, nearly 90% of the human embryonic cells carrying the water bare genes survived a lethal exposure to X-ray radiation, according to the team led by professional Yu Wen, when the radiation Biotechnology Laboratory in the Academy. Acad, academy? Yeah, Academy of Military Science Academy. Oh my god. Well, that was an idiot moment. The Academy of Military Sciences, Beijing. Uh, the team acknowledges some huge unknowns. Yeah, uh, you add a. Uh, Gene from a tardigrade to human. Is that still a human? That's that's one question I would have. Are these people still considered humans when you're adding the DNA of other animals to us? Uh Maybe they'll use Neuralink to what could go wrong coupled with AI. Oh, yes, yes. This is all just turning out into like some weird dystopian freaking nightmare. They envision possible future application of their genetic manipulation techniques centered on water bear experiments in cases related to treating acute radiation sickness for first responders, military personnel, or anyone near a nuclear fallout zone. They also foresee the era of future super soldier and genetically altered humans capable of surviving nuclear apocalypse. Yeah, so is it really going to be people that survive an event like that? Well, at least the Chinese, even though they're all dead, would be able to claim we created the things that survived the nuclear apocalypse, so I guess we won. And moving on to, uh, there are, let's see here. Oh, okay, so let's get on to the last subject I want to cover is uh, the OKC bombing. Now, um, this event keeps coming up because there's more people doing research on it, and the more people research it, including myself, the less anything makes sense, and there was something definitely um, odd about that entire event. So... Anyways, to get started, I do have a sub-stack, um, and I do have links to the articles on my sub-stack uh, at thecollapseexperiment.com, um, where I have our, uh, two articles at the moment so far of um, things about the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, the first one I published is The Questionable Confession of Timothy McVeigh. Uh, You can check that out. It is free. You can subscribe if you want or not. Um, I am just trying to get information out there and uh, get people thinking about the crap that just didn't make any sense. And one of those things that didn't make any sense was the confession that Timothy McVeigh um, gave, which contradicted eyewitness accounts and the timing and the way that he described it quite frankly, wasn't possible. Uh, and this came from after watching a 60 minute interview with McVeigh where he discussed, uh, what happened that day, how he says things went down. Obviously, uh, he left out anybody else being in the truck. Oh no, it was just me. It was all me. It was just me. Um, And I also point out in the article that around that same time uh, that the uh, court, when he was going to court or getting ready to go to court, the FBI was also looking at uh, charging his sister with uh, laundering money from bank robberies that he was involved in. And instead, she was a key witness for the state. So, yeah, there's a lot of things happening Around that time, and of course, not only was his ultimate confession um, just a pile of garbage, but it also contradicted what he told his first team of lawyers who was working with him. So, yeah, there's, um, so I have an article kind of laying that out, the argument as to, like, how this was deemed acceptable, uh, when it was very obvious that uh, (laughs) he was full of crap. Not saying he didn't do it. Um, most people say that he did. And according to eyewitness accounts, he was in the truck. It definitely was him. But there was also some other dude in the truck with him. And, um, yeah, there's also the Kenneth Trenadu didn't kill himself. Um, which, actually, I appear to have spelt his last name wrong on this. That's not good. But yeah, do you can go um, find that link. And uh, Noe Jose has a really good article about the Kenneth do story, uh, which is a lot like <clears throat> and kind of tied to the story of Terrence Yiki, which I covered on this YouTube channel before, but I decided to write it out because... Um, Probably a better way of telling it other than some guy rambling on a video. Um, Plus, I was able to go back, add information I had forgotten, um, move things around, uh, and then I put all the sources at the end for where I found the information that was in this article. Uh, And then to top it off, former head of FBI Dallas investigator of OKC bombing dies. He was 71 years old. Interesting comparisons with the J uh, JFK. I'm not. Sh- <laughs> I was gonna. Who's KFK? Is that a new one? I don't know. I don't know about this one. But yeah, uh, JFK. Yeah, definitely a lot of similarities between McVeigh and Oswald. Um, that was something that came out in. Um, Aberration in the Heartland, uh, Wendy Painting's uh, book that's been out since 2016. And, um, yeah, if you're not willing to read the book, at least check out the uh, Program the Chill podcast series where she's interviewed and goes into detail on things that are in the book. Uh, But to get back to the former head of the FBI Dallas, Danny... Deffenbau, a former special agent in charge of the Dallas field office in the FBI, was, has died. His family says Daffenbau died this week at Baylor Scott and White T. Boone Pickens Cancer Hospital. Um, let's see here. Oh, it's a 48-second clip. Uh, da, da, da. on behalf of Deffenbaugh's family, our hearts grieve for Danny's many friends and colleagues, our country, and the world's loss of a great man, a patriotic man, a man who dedicated his whole life to thwarting off evil and defending America, his family wrote in Deffenbaugh's Facebook page. So, this is the guy that led the investigation, huh? Um... I, you know, he's dead, and it's unfortunate he became an agent in 1976, but I will say he apparently just was not good at his job, <clears throat> there's, there's so much the FBI either blatantly ignored, willfully ignored, or, um, were too incompetent to find, like, what the heck, um, so, yeah, remember, these guys went on one of the biggest manhunts for John Doe number two and then came out later and was like, there is no John Doe number two. And that was just a big oops. Yeah, you know, the person we talked to to get both of those sketches nailed McVeigh, but um, somehow came up with this totally other, different person that just was completely fabricated. Yeah, so um, that's. Pretty much all I have for this. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much all uh, I've got for this live stream here. Almost reaching an hour. Uh, let's check the chat here, see if there's any questions in here that I might have missed. Um, fungus, Neuralink, AI have to pass on that. I don't know what uh, that's referring to. Interesting comparisons with JFK. Yeah, so um, don't talk to a chatbot. That's, that's my advice for this episode. Uh, it might be bad for your health permanently, and um, they don't seem to like us. All right, then maybe we'll have coffee again tomorrow. I should have made coffee before this. I really should have. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyways, um that's about it for me today. I probably won't have any other um uh, feeds today. So, I'll be working on a few other things in the meantime and uh go check out my Substack or the com. You can also find links to the articles there and anything that you heard about on here if you want to read about uh a certain topic yourself. So, Keep on typing.